Shavuot, Pentecost, uh, was a great festival for the Jews of Jesus' day. At the time of the New Testament, it's estimated that about 30,000 people lived in Jerusalem. Ten, twelve times that number would return to the city uh, for Pentecost. Coming from all over the known world, bringing uh, elements of their harvest back to the temple so it could be blessed by God. Giving thanks for the security, the stability, the safety, the prosperity that they knew where they lived in their places. A huge uh, tent city would grow up around Jerusalem as uh, Jerusalem couldn't cope with all the people who came back. So half a million people, it's estimated, would attend the festival of Pentecost. And on this feast day, 50 days after the Passover, the Passover when Jesus was the sacrificial lamb, when Jesus died that others might go free, when Jesus died that others might not know the judgment of God. 50 days after that Passover, the Spirit of God descends. Flames appear over the heads of the disciples. They speak in other tongues, languages unknown to them. They extol the great works of God, the scriptures tell us. And then Peter stands up and he preaches his first sermon. And 3,000 are converted and added to their number. And the church is born. It's a great moment in history. It's a great moment in Christian history. We see here the birth of the church. In many ways, this is the last great act of Jesus' earthly ministry. Although he's ascended into heaven, he's uh, fulfilling his promise that he would send the Spirit. Jesus, the one who was born in Bethlehem. Jesus, the one who lived a perfect life. Jesus, the one who died an atoning death. Jesus, the one who is raised to life and ascends to the Father. These are the events of history. They'll be followed ultimately by the final event of history, the closure of history, when Jesus will return and bring all things to their fulfillment. But between his ascension and his return. We live in the age of the Spirit. The Spirit comes to the church as promised. The other counsellor, the advocate, the guide. The one who will lead, who will direct, who will comfort, who will convict, who will challenge. These are the great historical moments of the church. But we miss something vital if we just see them as historical events. We miss something vital if we just see them as great Christian historical events. An essential part of our faith is not just that God has acted in history, but that God acts in our histories. Not just that God intervenes in human history, or the history of the church, but that God intervenes in my personal history. 
in my story, in my life, in my journey. These events, the events of Pentecost, tell us that God intervenes in the life of the church and will keep on intervening in the life of the church. And he does this by his Spirit. The events of Pentecost are a reminder that God intervenes in the lives of all those who follow him, of all those who confess him as Lord. Christian faith is clear. God does not just accomplish our salvation on the cross. He applies that salvation to us by his spirit. Not just that Jesus forgives sin. Not just that, just that Jesus lifts the burden of sin. Not just that Jesus breaks the power of sin. But the Spirit lifts the burden of sin for me and for you. That Jesus takes away the guilt of sin for me and for you. That Jesus breaks the power of sin for me and for you, today and tomorrow, by the power of his Spirit. At the centre of the church's proclamation of Jesus has always been, as Paul put it, not only that Christ died for me, but that Christ lives within me by the power of his Spirit. And this is the message of Pentecost. This is the message for today. God coming and dwelling among his people in the person of his Spirit. three applications or three things that flow from that for us this morning. The first is this. God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. Um, I like to think I'm a good person. I like to think I'm a non-judgmental person. I like to think that I'm a, you know, good example of what a Christian uh, should be and, uh, and look like. Um, have to confess, don't always live up to my own aspirations, my own um, goals, and I have, uh, from time to time, uh, taken an instant dislike to people, which I know you find that very hard to believe. Um, I remember one time I took an instant dislike to somebody solely because of the car that they drove, okay? And it was, it was my first day at Bible college. As a young man, I was walking into Bible college, and um, I had no money, literally had no money. I'd been uh, working for a number of years for a church. Um, they paid me £15 a week, and I lived in uh, the vicar's um, house. I was working as a youth worker. And they gave me food and board, £15 a week. That, that was it. And I was going off to become, um, go, and, go and train to do a degree at college. And um, I had no money, no money in my pocket at all. And I walked into... Uh, my Bible college, it was London Bible College, London School of Theology as it's known now. And as I walked in, somebody drove past me in a car, her car. And I took an instant dislike to her. Two reasons. The first was this, she was driving a Porsche. Okay? I got there by bus, carrying my suitcase, my rucksack. She was driving a Porsche. 
Um, secondly, she had a car sticker in the back window of the car. And it was a quote from Deuteronomy. It was Deuteronomy 7, uh, verse 9. Keep in mind that the Lord your God is the only Lord. He is faithful and keeps his promises. Which is nice when you're driving a Porsche. I confess my sin and repented of it. You'd be pleased to know. God keeps his promises. Jesus keeps his promises. At the beginning of Acts, if you look just across the page, Acts 1, verses 4 and 5, uh, Jesus says to the disciples, I'm going to leave you now. It's 40 days uh, since the events of Easter, since the cross and the resurrection. And Jesus has been meeting with his disciples uh, talking with them, teaching them, explaining what he's about, telling them the good news of the kingdom. And they says, I'm, go- I'm going to leave you now. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go. You're on your own. Wait in Jerusalem till the promised Holy Spirit comes. So after 40 days of teaching and encouragement, he leaves them. For 10 days, they meet together. Praying, talking, praying, waiting. And on the 10th day, 50 days after the Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. Comes and he falls upon them. And it's dramatic. And it's noisy. One minute they're praying in an upper room, the next minute they're thrust out into the marketplace. Uh, Suddenly they're proclaiming the good news of God. Uh, Power is displayed. Uh, Thousands are converted. And the church is off. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come. Jesus promised that another counsellor would come, another uh, teacher, another encourager would come. Don't you feel when you look at this story? Don't you feel when you hear uh, sermons like this? Do you wistfully think, well, nothing like that's ever happened to me? Nothing dramatic like that has ever happened in my spiritual life? Do you look at it perhaps a little fearful and think, "I, I never want anything to happen like that to me? I couldn't cope if anything dramatic happened in my spiritual life. Perhaps you begin to question, perhaps you begin to wonder, is the Holy Spirit in my life? Have I received him? Do I know him? God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, And he writes to them lest they be uh, confused or ignorant about the work and the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. He reminds them no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. He reminds them that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. He reminds them that we're all given one spirit to drink. At the beginning of John's Gospel, uh, we're reminded of who Jesus is, the word of God, the word made flesh. And John writes that to all who receive him, 
to all who believe in his name. He gives the right to become children of God, not born by human will or decision or flesh or blood, but born by the Spirit of God. If you know God, if you've come to Christ, if you've uh, called on his name, if you've committed yourself to him, if you're relying on him and him alone for everything in your life, then he's received you and you've received him. Yes, there may be more to come. Yes, there might be greater freedom in your life. Yes, there might be more to receive. Of course, there's a closeness to develop. Yes, there might be many uh, fillings of his spirit. But if you have him, he has you. What's needed now is not to keep on asking if you've received him, but to discover more of the one whom you have received to learn to get to know him, to develop a sensitivity to his spirit, to ask him to be present more and more in your life. God keeps his promises. To all who receive him, believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. Pentecost 2 speaks of the importance of the Spirit in the life of the church. The Holy Spirit is given because he is needed. Because he's needed. He's so central, his uh, presence is so key, so important, the disciples not to do anything until they've received him. And then they're thrust out into ministry. Peter, an unschooled fisherman, the man who ran away, the rock that crumbled, transformed into the preaching apostle, the leader of the church. The story of the early church is the story of treasures in jars of clay. Ordinary, fallible people indwelt by an extraordinary God. Throughout history, we see the same story, uh, repeating and repeating. Ordinary people indwelt by an extraordinary God, accomplishing extraordinary things. Not just in history, but in our own day too. The story of the Pentecostal Church, the denomination that takes its name from uh, these events and the outpouring of God's Spirit in the last uh, century, is full of stories of ordinary people used by God in extraordinary ways as they yield to the Spirit in their lives. One of my favourites is the story of uh, Smith Rigglesworth, one of the leaders of the British uh, Pentecostal movement. Born 1849, from a poor family, desperately poor family. Never had any schooling, never learnt to read or write. At age seven, he was sent out into the fields to uh, pull turnips. As he grew up, he was an apprentice to a plumber and learnt his trade. From his grandmother, he learnt the Christian uh, faith, the, the basics of faith. He, he yearned to be a preacher. He would stand up in the Methodist assemblies where he'd become a Christian and, and, and long to preach, long to give his testimony, but the words would stumble and fail him. Age 28, he met uh, a young uh, Salvation Army last, uh, lady named uh, Polly. She became uh, his wife. 
Together they did evangelism on the streets of Bradford where he lived. Tough town, tough at times. He longed to be more effective. Then he heard of some prayer meetings where people were praying to be filled with God's Spirit and he went along. God's Spirit descended upon him and he was transformed. He only ever read one book, it was the Bible. Carried it around in a little uh, pocket version in his pocket. Began uh, preaching on the streets. First tens, then hundreds, then thousands were converted through his ministry. Tens of thousands attended meetings that he held. Some of our Pentecostal denominations we have in this country today were born. Or by the power of God's Spirit. Power not just for ministry, but to live the life we're called to live. Jeremiah and Ezekiel longed for the day when God's law would be written not on tablets of stone that were given to Moses, but written on the hearts of his people. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Christians are meant to live in the presence and the power of the Spirit. He helps us to confess that Jesus is Lord. He empowers us for service. He he binds us together as the body of Christ. He helps us to pray. He prays for us when we can't pray ourselves. He helps us to live like Jesus. Holy Spirit is given not just for me, not just for you, but for the church. For the church to be all that she's called to be. And he comes not just for the sake of the church, but for the sake of the world. At Pentecost, Jews and converts were gathered together from all around the world. Persia, from Mesopotamia, from Egypt, from Libya, from Crete, Africa, Europe, Asia, the Middle East. The Spirit descends. And each hear in their own language the great works of God. The book of Revelation ends with a vision of heaven. And in heaven there are people of every tribe and every tongue, of every nation, Praising God together. Holy Spirit is poured out on young and old, on male and female, sons and daughters. The Old Testament, the Spirit was given to some people at some times for some jobs. Here the Spirit is poured out on all believers for all tasks for all witnessing, poured out on the church for the sake of the world. If you love me, says Jesus, you'll do what I command. And what would his command? Go into all nations and preach the gospel. Make disciples of all peoples. You'll be my witnesses, says Jesus in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The Spirit is given to propel the church into action. Into action to transform history and to change the world. To go to the ends of the earth. So let's stop being so uh, parochial, so narrow 
in our vision. Let's remember the great vision that God has for us, has for our church, to see the world changed. Not just our patch, not just our family, not just our workplace, not just our our little thing, but the whole world. The Spirit's given that all might hear of the great works of God in their own language, in a tongue they can understand, that the church would go to all places, to all people. That's the task that we're caught up in. That's why the Holy Spirit is given. God keeps his promises. Keeps his promises to the church, keeps his promises to you. God's Holy Spirit is central in the life of the Christian, in the life of the church. God's Spirit is given for the sake of the world. Not for my sake, not for your sake, for the sake of the world. That we would be the people we're called to be, and we would take the message in power. So what do we do? What do we do to be filled with the Spirit? What do we do to know more of the Spirit? What do we do to be the people God calls us to be? How do we develop a deeper relationship with the Spirit of God? How do we have more of what he has for each of us? The answer's in the feast on which the Spirit fell. The answer is in Pentecost. What were they doing? Gathering together, bringing their offering, and giving it to God. And the Spirit fell. That's what we do. That's all that we can do. Bring all that we have, all that we are, and offer it to God. Ask him to fill us. Ask him to come to us. Ask him to meet with us. Ask him to descend upon us. Ask him to fill us afresh. Bring the offering of ourselves, lay it on the altar, and ask him to come and meet with us. What more could we do? What else could we do? Simply come to Christ and meet with him and give all that we are to him and ask him to give us more of his spirit. Not for our sakes but for the sake of the world. Let's stand.